Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God's word is for all of us? It's not exclusive to a position that it was given to all of us to share together. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, you are shepherd, and we submit fully to you within that. We are so grateful for how good you are to us, God. We are so thankful that we are not in want, that you lead us, that you calm us, that you restore us, that you provide for us and sustain us. We give you this time. We ask that it be an offering pleasing to you, that we would come before you quiet, turn to your heart, that we would hear you speak, and that we would grow to know you more and to love you deeper. You are good and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Psalm 23. We're still in Psalm 23. We're going to be, we're going to be looking at it. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Right? Last week we looked at Yahweh is my shepherd and the strength of all that that implies and carries with it. And this week we're going to look at, because this is still, this is David's thesis statement, right? This is his opening to the psalm. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we're going to finish that up. We're going to look at the second half of verse 1 this morning. And we're really going to hopefully come away with a deeper understanding that David's not talking about, oh, I want chicken parm for dinner sometime this week, right? This is, this is much richer and meaningful than that. And last week we started with, what did we start with? We started with a Hebrew word. We started with Yahweh. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to start with a Hebrew word because I want us to understand the original meaning of this and the power that it carried. And so that, that that phrase that we have, I shall not want, that's one word. That's one word in the Hebrew language. And if you want to throw the next one up so they can see it, they can write it down. But the word is kasar. It looks like chaser. It's pronounced kasar. And the word for I shall not want is actually a modified version of that root word, kasar. And it's kind of the, the inverse of it, right? You know how we put un, like un or non in front of something that's unidentified, that's non-negotiable? That's what David did with kasar. He put ehasar. So what you have is one word that means I lack nothing. And so what David is saying goes beyond, and, and we can use, and this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Because we can use want and lack kind of synonymously. I want for nothing. I lack nothing. That can mean the same thing. But the problem is, in the English language, we use want synonymously with desire or I would like. So what was really synonymous with I lack nothing, we have turned into synonymous with uh, there's nothing I would like, which well, that means I have everything I want. That means if I want it, I've got it, right? This is a pretty good prosperity verse. No. This is a verse that David wrote talking about that in the Lord we lack nothing. And we have to be very careful with this. And this is where you have to know Scripture as a whole when we look at this idea. Because David, if you look at David's life, David was without plenty of times. Right? He lived as a fugitive in the caves. He went without food. He went without 
physical security, the emotional and mental toll that that would have taken on him to be hunted as a fugitive when he was completely innocent. He was frequently involved in violent altercations. He was betrayed by family. He was betrayed by friends. I mean, David lived a life that definitely was for want of a lot of the amenities and markings of a life that you would say, wait a minute, David, there's plenty that you would want. So he's not writing this as, I desire nothing. He's writing this to say that Yahweh is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. I have everything I need. And we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful with this because it sounds simple. It really does. Contentment, right? Contentment sounds simple. And please hear me on this. I am not saying that moments of discontent are a horrible, you're a horrible, horrible person. You should be ashamed of yourself. What I want to point out in this sermon is hopefully that you'll realize how easy it is to slip up and fall into this. I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. This is something that is so insidious. It is so sneaky and subtle how we just kind of take one step and one step. And before we know it, we find ourselves in a place of deep discontent. Now, if you would ask us, hey, are you discontented with your life? No, you're not going to say that. But it worms its way into our language. It worms its way into our relationships. It undermines the core of peace that we're called to have in the Lord. And so I want to be very careful about this idea of contentment in God. Because the question, the question that it really boils down to, the main question that you need to ask yourselves, the question that I ask myself, does my sense of contentment in this life come from my relationship with the Lord or is it dependent on external circumstances? Is my satisfaction with this life, is my sense of contentment with this life dependent on external circumstances or is my contentment dependent on my relationship with God? That's an easy question, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm satisfied with God. Again, this is subtle. This is small stuff. Yesterday morning, I had the chance to meet with the deacons, right? We had, we had breakfast, we talked, it was a great time. Good group of guys. They're, they're a really good group of guys. Get to know our deacons. But I asked them, I got a couple questions for them. Kyle, what'd you, what'd you bring with you this morning? You got a Bible and notebook. You happy with it? Paper works? Pen works? Yeah? All right, so if, if you go home with what you came with, you're good, right? Joe, same question. And it's a good pen, ink comes out? Great pen. Good, great pen. Great pens are good. So if you go home with that, you'll be okay, right? Phil, same question. What'd you, what'd you come with? And it works? Swipes? Works? So if you, go happy, if you go home with that phone, you'll be happy, right? Good. Esther, would you do me a favor? Left or right? Your choice. Left. All right, so if we go around the breakfast table yesterday... Uh, Trevor, Joe, right? You were in the middle. That's for you. Hey, what's going on? You get a book. That's yours. If you've read it, great. Give it to somebody else. If not, read it. But that is now yours. Your iPhone's probably pretty terrible now, right? You don't like it? It's lacking, right? He doesn't want to go home with his iPhone. Same thing with Kyle, right? You don't, your notebook's no good anymore. Right? And it, actually, really, Phil... You need to be, Kyle was there yesterday. It's really unfair to Kyle. Kyle was there just as long as Joe was. In fact, Kyle was there before Joe was. He spent just as long a time there. Why doesn't Kyle get the book? 
That's not right. Sam, that's a really dumb example. But that's what we do in our lives. That's what I mean. This is subtle. It worms its way in. We start asking ourselves the questions, wait a minute, that's not fair. I've put in just as much time as, as Joe did. I've done the same things they have. Why don't I have what he has? And we start comparing ourselves to one another. And what we find is we lose our appreciation for what we have because we're more focused on what someone else has and our perception of fairness. And I'm not, I'm not above this. Like I said, this is so easy to fall into. I've done this in my life. My dad, most of you guys know my dad. My dad, I, I can truthfully say my dad is the godliest person I know. He is my role model in every sense. And my dad has done this. I share this story with you with his permission to illustrate how casually we slip into this. My mom was mentoring a young teen, teen parent, right? And so my dad, through that relationship, wound up mentoring the child's father. And they mentored this couple. They would have them over. And the one time, the young man's name was Christian. And when my parents were having them over to their house, my dad wound up talking to Christian, right? And my parents, they were never, they were never even sniffing or scratching the doorstep of rich, right? They were, they were middle class on their best day. And we had some friends who were definitely not middle class. And my dad, not even meaning anything by it, he didn't mean it maliciously. He didn't mean, I mean, my parents are such joyful, peaceful people. But my dad, just casually in the conversation with Christian, said, well, you know, I mean, some people are rich. And Christian got this look on his face. And my dad saw it, and he paused, and he was like, well, go ahead, you know, be honest. And Christian looked around at my parents' home, and he said, man, I think you guys are rich. And my dad remembered that Christian was living in a much smaller home with many more people. And he didn't have half of what my parents had. And my dad will tell you the lesson has stuck with him to this day, to realize how easy. My dad didn't mean anything malicious by it. He didn't set out to be like, oh, I'm going to convey a lack of contentment with my life. But it is so casually easy to slip into discontentment. And so my dad and my mom were very intentional to teach us this growing up. I'd come to them. I can remember numerous times, especially once I got to high school, right? And everybody starts getting the phone. Now it's even younger, but everybody starts getting the phones, the cars and everything, right? And I remember going to my parents and saying like, hey, Kevin's going on more vacations than we are. Kevin's going on nicer vacations than we are. Hey, Brendan's driving a nicer first car than I am. Hey, hey, he has a nicer phone. Than Hector has a nicer phone than I do. All my friends have these things better than I do. And my parents, every single time, I can hear their voice, every single time said, yeah, you know what? And there are plenty of friends who look at you and say, Sam has a nicer phone than I do. Sam goes on better vacation. What is wrong? And they would ask me this question. What is wrong with what you have? And I'd normally, in my infinite teenage maturity, mutter something about, you don't understand. And I'd stomp off the sulk, right? Because the truthful answer would have been nothing. Absolutely nothing is wrong with what I have. The only thing wrong with what I have is that I'm comparing it to what somebody else has, and that makes me like my thing less. Because I want what they have. I think I deserve what they have. This is so damaging in our lives. I mean, it cripples us if we are aware of it. If we are aware of this creeping in and we find ourselves appreciating less and less what we have, and this calls for a revolutionary mindset. We have to train ourselves how to look at this life. Listen to these words in Matthew. This is Matthew 6, 25 to 26. 
They're actually, you know what? I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read through the end of 26 or the end of chapter six. They're they're too good to skip. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Listen to this question. This is such a hard question to answer truthfully. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, think about that question. Who among you can add a single hour to your life by worrying over what you have? Joe got that book. If Kyle and Phil, right, if they legitimately spent the rest of this day, well, I don't get the book. I wonder, if, I bet Sam doesn't like me as much. I bet, I bet Sam was sending a message that I don't deserve a book. Sam doesn't think I can read. Sam doesn't like me. Sam doesn't trust me. We laugh. Do we not ask these questions? Hey, why, why do they get to go on that vacation? Why isn't God giving me the same salary that they have? Hey, why do they have a nicer car? Do I not deserve a nice car? We laugh, but we ask ourselves these questions every day. And we allow it to creep in. Now, if they ask themselves this question about this book, do you think come Wednesday, right, tomorrow, they wake up and they're still bothered that Joe got the book and they didn't? And Tuesday they wake up and they're still bothered that Joe got the book. I think Wednesday night, Phil's going to be laying in bed like, man, this, is, this has been a really good week. I'm really glad I've spent so much time worrying about Sam giving Joe that book. Just the anxiety. My life is, is vastly improved by obsessing over this. I bet I've added an hour to my life through all this worry. They ask the question so plainly because that's how we need to realize it. Because we look at these things like, well, and I asked last week, how many of you, right? Do you remember when we did the, if we polled America, how many people would say this is average? We all raised our hands for how many people would say the average American adult thinks a little bit of envy and jealousy is normal. That's a, it's normal, right? Jaguar, the car company, they ran a marketing campaign called the Seven Deadly Sins. And it was all about how owning a Jaguar could inspire your neighbors to have the seven deadly sins of envy and wrath. Like that was a good thing. We think envy is normal. We've forgotten what contentment looks like. We've forgotten how basic it is. We've forgotten how richly blessed we are because we obsess over all these luxuries that we think we deserve. This isn't just in Matthew, right? What's he say in Matthew? He says, are you fed? Are you clothed? You're good. We see this in Proverbs 30, 7 to 9. Two things, have I, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. All right, so he's saying, I'm asking two things of you, God. Two things, that's all I ask. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Let deceit have no part in my life. And two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, 
Otherwise, I would be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I would be poured and steal and profane the name of the Lord. You know, up until this week, I've never once prayed. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I've never once prayed, God, don't give me too much. Do we think to pray that? Do we think to say, God, please don't give me too much because I don't ever want to think I don't need you? I think plenty of times I've prayed, hey, God, could you, could you give me a little more? But up until this week, prepping for this and being convicted by the Holy Spirit, I have never prayed, God, don't give me too much. And this week I've found myself praying, God, please don't ever give me too much. I don't ever want to think, I don't ever want to come close to thinking, I am not entirely dependent on you in this life. That's what we see in Proverbs. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you realize contentment is your gain? The gain in your life of godliness with contentment? For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. It is so simple on and on throughout Scripture. And I want to point that out today. I want to go through and, and literally point that out. And listen, what I'm about to go through, this list we're about to run through together, I don't take this list lightly. Everything that I mention, I have found myself praising God for at some point in this past week, deeply thanking Him for these things. If you are lacking anything that we're about to say, please come talk to us afterwards. Don't, we don't need to make it a big thing, but we want to be able to help people as much as possible. So I don't, please, I, I don't say any of this lightly. But let's think about our morning. Let's think about our Sunday morning. Some of what I say, some of what I experienced in my Sunday morning might not apply to you, but I'm guessing 95% of it will. Because, Sam, really? Do I really have that much to be thankful? It's what? It's 11.15 in the morning? How much is there really to be truly deeply grateful for? Well, first, we woke up. Based purely on statistics, a lot of people didn't wake up this morning. That's one. Two, I woke up in a bed. I didn't wake up on a bus station bench. I didn't wake up on a bathroom floor. I woke up in a bed. I woke up in a bed with a roof over my head. I had heat on. I got up and took a hot shower. Then I put in my contacts. If I didn't have contacts in right now, I'd be dead because I would have wandered off a cliff not seeing that it's a cliff. I found myself this week, oh my goodness, Lord, I live in a time where my vision can be corrected in a matter of seconds. Then I brushed my teeth and I remembered I have clean, safe water whenever I want it. Then I wandered back into my room and I picked what clothes I wanted to wear because I'm so rich that I have options. Then I wandered into the third or fourth room of the morning when I went downstairs. I mean, third or fourth room of the morning, we live in palaces compared to most of the world. And I had the choice of, do I want to eat something? Do you know how many people in this state don't have the choice of, do I want to eat something? And then I decided I do want to eat something. And I had a choice of, what do I want to eat? Right? And then I sat down and I opened a laptop and I had my phone next to me to continue to do work and prep and to pray, right? And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, look at the time, we gotta get to church. Which car are we taking? Because we're so rich, we have options of vehicles. 
And then we were running a little bit late, but I wasn't worried because we live in a country with an infrastructure so stable that I knew I could get across town in 10 minutes because the roads are paved and the traffic lights are working and they're not out and I don't have to plan a three-hour journey just to get one mile from my home. And then I pulled into the parking lot to enter a building that is debt-free and never once in this service have I wondered, are the police going to break me in and drag me off to torture me for preaching the gospel? It's not even lunchtime, and that was what, 18, 19 things? Don't ever tell me you don't have something in your life to be grateful for. So what, the question I have to ask myself is, what would my life look like if I truly approached every day with that list in mind? What would my life look like if I approached every day with, oh my goodness, I have more blessings than I know what to do with? I can't even count, because I guarantee you, I missed five or six blessings in my morning already. My wife woke up. Statistically, that's in my advantage. That's another blessing, 21. I came here and I have friends who also woke up, 22, 23, 24. I mean, think about it. What would our lives look like if we truly, and I mean truly, approached every day with, how much do I have to be grateful for today? You think our mindset would change a little bit? You think our behavior would change a little bit? What would my life look like if I approached every day with a desire of being truly grateful to God for everything he has given me? What would our church look like if we were a people full of deep abiding gratitude and contentment? What would our communities look like if this defined our lives? Because listen to what Ecclesiastes 3.13 says. This isn't owed us. We make the mistake, where, well, I'm owed that. I'm a good person. I'm, I deserve that. Ecclesiastes 3.13. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. That everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of the Lord. When you eat food, when you drink, and when you're able to live a life that glorifies God, that is God's gift, gift to man. We just got out of December, right? We just got through the Christmas season. You know my love for Christmas. And part of why I love Christmas so much is I love giving people gifts. It is such a meaningful relationship when you know someone's personality and you know what they care about and you're able to give them something that shows, I know you. I know what you like. I know what makes you happy. I know what you enjoy. I know you. Here is a gift that expresses my love for you. Now imagine, imagine with me, if you will, Christmas morning, and Adeline's the same way. She loves giving gifts. We love teasing each other through December. I can't wait for you to open that box. That box is going to be your favorite. Imagine if she gives me that gift. She is so excited, right? And I open it. Oh, okay. G give me one sec. Hey, Dan, what'd Sarah get you? Okay. J James, what'd Cassie get you? Oh, okay. Hey, hey, Joe, what'd you get? Steve, what'd you get? Okay. Okay, hon. Um, some of the guys got better stuff than me. But I got better stuff than some of the guys. So, so you did pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, maybe next year you'll do better. That hurts to pretend. I mean, that, that pains me to pretend like I would say that to my wife. And when I realized that this week, that I say that to God with such a regularity, it brought me to my knees. 
because we say that to God all the time. Yeah, this, this house is okay. I mean, this job's all right. It's not, as, it's not as good as their house. Maybe next year will be better. Maybe next year will be better, God. We do that all the time. And it, it broke my heart to realize that I have done that to God far more times than I care to think. That I have looked, Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, the gift that we should be able to eat and drink and work. That is God's gift to man. And I have looked at God's gift to me and I have said, eh, maybe, maybe next year will be better. What kind of ego do I have to possess to look at that gift and to say, eh, this is pretty mediocre. This is kind of an average life. Because here's the bottom line. Here's what all of this is building up to. You think we've gotten into some stuff yet? Man, we've got the good stuff still ahead of us. Here's what this is all building up to. That attitude, that heart, reflects that I am far more concerned with the gift than the giver. And that's a problem. And that's what contentment is about. When David says, Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing, he is saying, because of Yahweh, I don't care about the other stuff. Because Yahweh is my shepherd, because he is mine and I am his, I lack nothing. My circumstances don't matter. I have Yahweh. And we see this in Philippians. Turn with me, if you will. Philippians 4. This is 11 to 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. Be brought low and abound. I know how to have nothing, and I know how to have everything. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and the secret of facing hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We know verse 13, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I had like seven friends in high school who had that tattooed on their biceps because it's got strength in it. So we pull that verse out and we're like, oh, this is a good verse. No, you have to know the context of Scripture. You have to understand that Paul is saying, look, I know how to have everything and I know how to have nothing. I know how to be in the valleys and I know how to be on the mountaintops. The secret is God because the circumstances don't matter because my circumstances may change, but my Lord never will. And because my Lord will never change, I will be content with life, whatever it brings me. And that's what all of this is getting to. When we look at the food and the clothes that we have and we're not content, when we look at the house we have and we're not content, it reveals a heart that is far more concerned with having than with the one who gives. Make no mistake, I'm not saying having is bad. If you live in a house that's bigger than mine, you're not a bad person. Right? And if I live in a house that's bigger than yours, I'm not a bad person. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, for wherever your heart is there, your treasures will be also. The issue becomes not with having, but, be, but when having becomes the focus of our lives. When we are more focused on having than on loving God, that's the issue. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, whether I abound or I abase, I have Christ, and that is enough. And what it boils down to is, do we trust God? Do we trust the Lord to be enough in our lives? W. Philip Keller was an actual shepherd. I mean, a, a literal, like, that was his job in Africa. He was a shepherd. 
And then he became a pastor later, and he wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Because he's got a perspective like few people do. And he notes this about the well-being of a flock. He says, When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. So David is saying, I am Yahweh's. Yahweh is my shepherd. I am in Yahweh's flock. And if we are in Yahweh's flock, then our entire condition of welfare is dependent on the management afforded us by our owner, Yahweh. Do we really think Yahweh is not capable of providing us what we need? When we focus on what we don't have, and really when we focus on what we perceive we don't have, are we really revealing a heart that says, I don't know if Yahweh can provide enough for me? Because I think sometimes we look at blessings in this life, and we do, we look at the material, the physical blessings in this life, and we view it almost like a Black Friday line, right? Like we're all in line at Walmart for those TVs, and you're counting like, okay, there's 17 people left, but there's only 16 TVs. So if those five people all have good blessings in their life, God doesn't have enough left for me. Do we realize how infinite God is? how sovereign he is? Do we realize the kind of shepherd that Yahweh is? That's what David is getting at. David is saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And again, this is an idea we see throughout Scripture over and over again. Still in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. According to his riches and glory, he will supply us. Do you really think God doesn't have enough riches to pour out on you? I mean, really. Is that what it reveals about our hearts when we find ourselves grumbling and discontent? 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Whatever you think you lack, you don't. Because His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I believe those words with all my heart. I cannot allow my words or my thoughts to reflect anything different than that truth. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having, listen to this phrase, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. See, the truth that Scripture is getting at is that it's not dependent on your external circumstances. The grace afforded to us is not dependent on our external circumstances. We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have all sufficiency in all things at all times because we have Yahweh. Yahweh must always and only ever be the only thing we need in this life. Because if my, to circle back to that original question, right? To circle back to that original question of, does my sense of satisfaction come from my relationship with God or the external circumstances? Then what in the world am I to do when life throws me a curveball? Raise your hand if you have never been thrown any sort of obstacle in this life ever. I thought every hand was going to go up. 
Of course not, Sam, you fool. No one's going to raise their hand because the only guarantee in this life is that God loves us and that you're going to be thrown a curveball. So if my sense of satisfaction, if my sense of contentment is dependent on my external circumstances never changing, I'm in deep trouble. But if my sense of satisfaction and meaning in this life is dependent on Yahweh, I'm in a good place because He's not going to change. And that's what all of this is building towards, contentment that is born from a deep love and awareness of how much Yahweh cares about you. How blessed we are to be a part of His flock. And so the question that we wind up with, what is holding us back from a spirit of pure contentment? What is keeping us from being able to truthfully say, Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing? Is it fear? Is it worry? Have we placed too much stock in, in our wealth and our bank accounts and our health and our family relationships? What is holding us back from a spirit of pure contentment with Yahweh and Yahweh alone? Max Lucado says this, Are you hoping that a change in circumstances will bring a change in your attitude? What you have in your shepherd is greater than what you don't have in life. You have a God who hears you, the power of love behind you, the Holy Spirit within you, and all of heaven ahead of you. If you have the shepherd, you have grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, and an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need. That's what David is saying with, I shall not want. He's saying, because Yahweh is my shepherd, I have everything I need. I have forgiveness, I have grace, I have mercy, I have a hope, I have a promise of heaven. I have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have Christ's sacrifice. I mean, the Bible calls us co-heirs and conquerors with Christ. What more do you want? What more do I want than that title? That's all I need. That's what David is getting at. That is what is packed into those short words, I shall not want. It's so much bigger than I shall not want. It's I lack nothing because of Yahweh and because of what I have in Yahweh. And this does, this requires us to totally flip our mindset, to get the focus off of ourselves and what we think we lack and to realize how richly God has blessed us. We have to look at our life through that lens. Earlier I shared an example about my dad that wasn't the greatest. Right Now I want to share something, and I literally just learned this two days ago. He and I were talking on the phone, and he shared me this. So I'd never heard this before. So eight, eight, nine years ago, were we married when he needed the spinal surgery? No? Earlier. Okay, so maybe 10, 12 years ago, still in college, my dad needed emergency spinal surgery and neck surgery. Like, went into the specialist, and the guy rearranged his entire calendar and was like, we need to operate on you as soon as possible. This is, this is serious. You are not in a good place right now. Our family was freaking out, right? You don't need emergency spinal surgery if everything's okay. So our family's freaking out. And the specialist was honest with my parents when he met with them. He was like, look, based on your condition, based on the deterioration, there's a good chance you're going to come out of this surgery paralyzed. We might do everything we can and you still can't ever walk again. And by God's mercy and guiding hand, that didn't happen. And my dad told me this just a couple days ago, and he said he never takes the elevators anymore because, and I quote, I can't imagine not using the gift of walking. 
That's the kind of mindset I want. I want to look at my car in the parking lot and think, man, I, I have the gift of walking. Every breath I take, this breath, that was a gift. This one too, that was a gift. The ability to speak is a gift. The fact that I can see you, that you can hear me, that I can touch this and feel, I feel texture, that's a gift. Right? She and I, when we made dinner the one night this week and we wound up praying through our senses, saying that when we prayed for the meal, we said, God, thank you that we were able to hear that sizzling. And you guys, when I say the sizzling of like peppers and onions and chicken, you know what I'm talking about. You know that sizzle. That's a gift. We said, God, thank you that we could open the oven and we could smell the roasting garlic. That we can taste all of this. That you created the chemical process that breaks down the food and caramelizes it like it does. It requires a mindset totally centered on how good God is to live a life of pure contentment. That's what David is getting at. Remember, that's, that's one sentence. Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So as we start Psalm 23, as we take this deep look at who God is as our shepherd, let that be the thesis statement that resonates deep within you. If Yahweh is your shepherd, you lack nothing. He has poured out on us blessings and abundance that we can't even imagine, that we don't deserve, that He does out of the goodness of His heart and how deeply He loves for us. And if we become people whose lives are defined by this contentment, if we become a church body whose lives are defined by this gratitude and this realization, I love to imagine what that will look like. When we realize that everything we have is a gift, when we realize that it's not about us, that it's about using this and pouring it out in gratitude to the Lord, Right? My small group got me this shirt that says, I'm Sam and I'm excited. I don't know if they felt bad that I had to say it every week or if they just got sick of me hearing it. They're like, you know what, it's easier if we just look at it and he doesn't have to say it. But I am, man. I'm excited. I'm excited about this church. I'm excited about the people in this church. Last week I issued that challenge, right? I said, hey, let's read Psalm 23 and memorize it. And every day let's pray for a spirit of submission. I had a couple of you guys reach out to me this week and tell me about it. Tell me, hey, here's what I'm reading and studying and have questions. That gets me excited because I see hunger. I see hunger for depth and I see hunger for growth in this congregation. And that gets me excited. And I see a Lord who loves us and has provided everything we need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that gets me excited. Because when you take the infinite God and you give him the entirety of your life, I mean, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to build my church on you and the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. That gets me excited. So this week, that's the challenge for us this week, right? We're going to keep doing this. If you don't want to do it, that, I'm going to keep challenging it anyway. But this week, read Philippians 4, 11 to 13 every day. Study it. Come to know these words. I mean, let them be ingrained on your heart. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. And every day, here's my very literal challenge. Identify three new things and truly thank God for them. 
Thank God for three new things every single day. And if you want to go more than three, go more than three. Because here's my suspicion, is that when you find yourself doing this, you can't stop, right? As you find yourself thanking God, wow, thank God, thank you, I have a job. Wow, you know what, God, thank you that, that I have a car that gets me to my job. Wow, thank you that I have money to put gas in the car to get me to my job. What? When we find ourselves training ourselves to be grateful people, it grows. All right, so this week, that's what we're going to try this week. We're going to do Philippians 4, 11 to 13, and every day we're going to identify three new things to be thankful to God for. And watch, what see, and watch and see what happens as a spirit of contentment and gratitude grows in this body. God is incredible. He is everything you need. I can promise you that. If you're not sure, come talk to me afterwards. Let's, let's work through this together. Because I can promise you that Yahweh is my shepherd and I lack nothing. And if Yahweh is your shepherd, you lack nothing. And if Yahweh is not your shepherd and you're sick of lacking and you want to know more about this Yahweh who provides everything you need, I mean, think about it. If we lived lives that were marked by contentment, don't you think that would stand out to the world? Don't you think that would be a testimony if the world looked at us and was like, man, what is up with those weirdos? It doesn't matter what kind of financial state they're in. It doesn't matter what health they're in. They are peaceful, grateful, content people. That's different. If we live lives marked by real gratitude and awareness of having everything we need in Yahweh, it will look differently to the world. I can promise you that. And like I said last week, I have no desire to be normal. I want to be different to the world. I want this church to be different to the world. And I think a church of deep contentment, I think a people of deep, meaningful contentment in Yahweh will be different. Let's pray. God, May you always be enough for us. We know that you are. We, I, I know, I know that you are always enough. May we always be aware of that. When we're tempted to forget it, and it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to fall into comparison and focusing on what we think we don't have. When that starts to creep in, just, just burn it. I mean, just destroy it. Give us a spirit of deep, abiding contentment in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.